Welcome to Always Searching, the podcast challenging conventional wisdom about health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark. I'm delighted that you're here. Welcome to Always Searching. My guest today is the creator of Janet's Planet, a program that is committed to enriching the lives of children via education and live performances, TV, and online programming. She has received 12, 12 regional Emmys and five Gracie Awards for her children's series, Janet's Planet, that airs on 140 public television stations nationwide, and it may even be more than that. She's also, and I love this, a citizen astronaut candidate for Space for Humanity (laughs) and a NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador and a dear friend. Welcome to Always Searching, Janet Ivey. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark. It is a privilege to be your friend and to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, Janet. We've known each other for several years, and I've just always been in awe, and I know that's one of your favorite words as well, <laughs> of what you've been able to do. You're an educator, you're an advocate, and you're so passionate about helping children truly reach for the stars. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Where where were you born? Was there a role model in your life that just instilled <laughs> that love for space and ex- exploration? Okay, so... I was born in Covington, Tennessee, birthplace of Isaac Hayes and the Charms Blow Pop. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds good. It's, it's 45 minutes north of Memphis. It's a rural little small town. And my dad was a plumber. My mom a seamstress. My dad did not graduate high school. My mom just barely because she was out two months of her senior year picking cotton. And so these beautiful self-made folks hatched a daughter and then went, what? what? <laughs> What's <laughs> happened what <do> here? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so grateful. There was a grand lesson my dad taught me when I was about six years old. So when you talk about inspiration, we'll get how we got to space here. But I think about how, what a blessed life I've had. Like my daddy grew up super poor, but, and I think probably made mercilessly fun of at points in his life. And so I think because of that and because of the kindness of some, you know, unsuspecting people, he learned very young that never judge anybody but what they look like or what they believe or et cetera, just always treat them kindly. So I'm about six or seven years old. We're somewhere in a place called Frazier that's a little bit between Millington and Memphis. And I don't remember what errand we were running, but we were going into a Circle K to get, I think, probably donuts and chocolate milk. So as we come in, and my dad's always been a handsome guy and a little bit of a charmer. So he's like, hey, good looking. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) And immediately the lady behind the, the counter smiled. And I remember going, hmm, interesting. Even as a kid, I recognized that she might not have had all her teeth. And so dad's just chatting her up and he's telling her a joke and they're laughing and we're still getting our chocolate donuts and chocolate milk. And we get out the car. I think even as we got, I mean, he never stopped talking the whole darn time we were in there. He was like, you keep looking good, lady. (laughs) So we get in the car. And at this point, I'm like, I am telling mama. (laughs) He's like, go ahead. (laughs) And he was like, I was like, plus you kept telling her how pretty she was. And she only had, you know, didn't have all her teeth. And he grabbed my chubby little face and he goes, listen here, buttercup. 
everybody is beautiful in their own way. You walk into a room and you better leave people feeling better than they did before mm-hmm. you walked into that room. Do oh, you hear me? Powerful message. Yeah. And I cry thinking about it. I mean, I'm six or seven, and that was my lesson. You treat people kindly. You don't judge at all. And you always, always try to bring your light. And for me, that that so that's that portion going up to about fifth grade. And I encounter the most beautiful, wonderful, amazing fifth grade teacher, Miss Ernestine Yarbrough, this beautiful African-American lady whose voice and embodiment of teaching is still the metric by which I try to teach. Every Friday, she would come by and whisper a sentiment only meant for you and you alone. And she would threaten you with this big, booming, loud voice. It's like, if you tell a soul what I am telling just you, this is for your ears only. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. And she was that perfect blend of love and boundary where you knew you did not want to make her upset, but you also, you knew where the fence was, but you also knew she boundlessly loved you. So she was that first person that I go, you know, when we think about in educational kind of uh, terms, like Bloom's taxonomy, where you could like have multiple entry points. So she would let us create a story using our spelling words, our science homework, and we could make any leap of fancy we wanted. Our science just had to be factual and our spelling words had to be spelled correctly. And I think, I mean, I found What's so crazy, Sarah Lynn, is I found a story that I wrote about being on Mars and eating. I mean, I was basically recreating the McDonald's menu on Mars as like spits and <laughs> dumb things and everything. So but I think it's like that's she was the woman that brought a telescope on a Friday night in Covington, Tennessee, and out on this black top of a parking lot. And when there wasn't much light pollution, and she and another lady named Miss Carolyn Davis with their beautiful, you know, uh, bell-bottom jeans on were pointing out stars and constellations. And I thought, I want to be smart like these ladies. And I have to say, she definitely cemented my love of the solar system. And then fast forward, I love being in band. I loved playing the piano. I love singing. I love being in plays. So by the time I get to high school, like, you know, I've got all my humanities going on. But luckily for me, I kept having these teachers like going, you know what, you're not the best science student here. And you, you know, it's like you do pretty good at algebra, your geometry could use it, but keep at it. And I'm so grateful for these teachers that just said, you have a, you have an interesting way of looking at things and you don't quite get there the way traditionally, but it's like, keep going. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't like an A student in some of those higher maths, but thankfully had some teachers that just said, no, 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 keep taking it. You know, you never know what you might use it for. So when I think about the gift of public education that I had in my sweet little small town, I go, wow. But I go to college, I major in music and theater, and then I'm on the pitch sheets for a while for Mercury Records. We were called Summer Rose and Ivy. I laugh about it now. That's a great title. (laughs) Uh, My friend Nan Kelly is now a host for all this stuff on Opry Live and Circle Access and stuff like that. My friend Cindy probably has sung on a thousand demos here in Nashville, but Mercury and Polygram merged and our deal went away. They had signed Toby Keith and Shania Twain, and we would have been next had they had it continued potentially. But all the while, 
I was singing and dancing and performing with kids, for kids at a theme park here in Nashville called Opryland. And I loved it. I loved walking into work every day. I still, like just last week, I uh, was in my hometown doing a book signing and I had this uh, beautiful, lovely human in a wheelchair. Beth used to come all the time to the Opryland Kids Club and she and her dad drove from Memphis to see me. And so it's like, it's weird. I still can go places or people go, oh my gosh, I've got a picture of you like dancing with me at Opryland and stuff. So it's interesting when I got that job and, you know, we were pursuing that record deal. When the record deal went away, I wasn't that sad about it because I thought, I think I'm being kind of guided here that this kid's thing's going to stick. And sure enough, it did. It's like I just passed a milestone of 30 years on May 21st. Uh, that was 30 years working with kids. And to be honest, it's like Janet's Planet was kind of like the probably the genesis of that happened in Miss Yarbrough's fifth grade classroom. Uh, but it's like working with and for kids when I knew the park was closing, I was like, what am I going to do? And I looked around, Bill Nye, the science guy, Beekman's world were the only things in science, but there wasn't a female touting science. Or if there was a female, like Beekman had a sidekick, but she was kind of the goofball. She was the sidekick. She wasn't the primary. And I was like, oh, I think I'll plant my flag here. I got some advice from a kid's dad who said, you should trademark that. I had no idea how to do any of this. It's like nobody, <laughs> nobody out there is going to ask me, how did you do it, Janet? <laughs> it was kind of like uh, around the mulberry bush, up the hill, pushing the rock, and then Sisyphus and I would fall back down, try another path. But the kid thing is what opened up the door at local public television. My friend Sana Joe was doing an ITV series. She goes, I hear you work with kids. And I'm like, what, what do you need? Let me send you my five best center. And she's like, oh my gosh, these kids are brilliant. And I was like, I have nothing to do with it. We just perform all the time. So they're, they're kind of like up to snuff as far as production, you know, savvy. And that was the door that opened. And she goes, what is it that you want to do? And I was like, I want to do Janet's planet. And, so it was bit by bit, brick by brick. I think the first outfit I ever wore in the first three things I produced for Janet's Planet was a pleather jacket that I hot glued some like letters <laughs> on. It was ridiculous, like honest to God. On that. <laughs> so if you're out there listening, yeah, it's like what I mean, NASA's got it right. I mean, a little duct tape and a couple of nickels, yeah, man. Hey, just, it works. Yeah. It works. <laughs> Pointed in the right direction. <laughs> well, you know, I've always laughed because you've called yourself a self-appointed guardian and shepherdess of the next generation of space explorers. I mean, that's a hefty <laughs> title, Janet. How did yeah, you with no humility, with none, all the hubris. <laughs> we just have to give you the crown and, and you know, what, a throne perhaps, or it can be a, an astronaut suit to do it. I think I'd have like the shepherd shepherd is hooked that way yeah, i can grab clever. them if they're going the wrong that's way true. that's very clever <laughs> how, how did you how did you evolve from you know Jana's planet you started this to to that boulder i mean it truly is it's a very bold you're going where no woman has gone before let's put it that way how did you get there how did you do that you know it's it's a strange thing isn't it that i always love this quote and 
probably I've referred to it many times and people may have heard me say it. It's a quote by Frederick Bigner, and he says, You will always be called to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Mm. And man, the first time I heard it and read it and then read it again, I was like, okay. And my deep gladness has always been kids. And so you, you know, you kind of follow where the funding goes. So we did Janet's Planet and then it was like, oh, and do you happen to have, can you do a school show? Well, sure. Mm -hmm. Let me put that together. Can you do a live performance in a performing arts center? Sure. Let me put that together. And I kept, I just kept knocking on doors. In fact, the first time that I ever went to like a space conference, I had this big, big dream that if I could just get to somebody like a Richard Branson at Virgin Galactic, mm -hmm. that he would fall in love with the idea of Janet's planet, <laughs> put it on every plane or that he's got Magic. and, Magic. Uh, and go, yes, let me give you a million dollars. Well, I never sure. could get to Richard Branson, but I was goofy enough to go on LinkedIn long before you were, you know, I think that was like, I don't know, this was back in what, 2008, nine, 10, mm, someplace in there. And I reached out to a guy named Richard Godwin, who, funny enough, uh, was part of this uh, National Space Society. He was president of National Space Society, mm -hmm. I think, at the time. And he had worked for Virgin Galactic. I was like, <laughs> oh, I've hit the jackpot. Yeah. And here's the dear thing about that moment. I'm sure it was like, hi, I do this thing called Janet's Planet. <laughs> he wrote back and he goes, well, if you don't do anything else, you should really head to this conference. And so I go passing out my little homegrown DVD. Mm -hmm. And somehow, again, I have to say that there's a bit of like uncanny favor that I have encountered along the way that I just go... Just keep showing up because then when they can't figure out what to do with you, they finally go, well, we might as well put her to work doing something because I uh, I, somehow it's like this little homegrown DVD that I had done about the solar system got into the hands of the VP of Space Florida, Dr. Percy Looney. And unbeknownst to me, they had had conversations. They had a mandate from the Hawking Foundation to take microgravity to Florida classrooms. And Percy decided I was the one. He calls up. And when he first says his name, I'm Percy Looney with Space Florida. All of that sounds made up. Like <laughs> your, your, your name it's sounds true. like some like weird thing for the moon. Exactly. I don't believe any of this. And he's like, how would, you like to, <laughs> how would you like to fly in microgravity? I'm standing oh my in my gosh. husband's chiropractic office. Is like going, be calm. Well, that sounds lovely inside doing the <laughs> right. soupy dance. Exactly. And a week later, I'm down there being announced as Janet's Planet doing this thing. And so we produced that. We, you know, we're funny enough, won a regional uh, Emmy Award with it. And that was that was how I met Buzz Aldrin, who invited to me to mm -hmm. be a um, uh, kind of a share science, share space ambassador. And again, just anytime Buzz would see me at this one conference, hey, Janet's Planet. It was That was always my name was Janet's Planet. Fortunately, your name was Janet. That's I a know, good right? I know. <laughs> thank, thank you, Dad. Know, my dad also honestly, named me. Yeah. And uh, so I remember even going to my first Human to Mars Summit and it's because I had met this gal from the Canadian Space Agency named Fernaz Gadaki, and she she loved what I was doing educationally and mm -hmm. thought that was like something that we needed to do more of. She goes, I'm going to mention you in this talk I'm giving. Is that okay? And I was like, man, if she's going to mention me in a talk, I should probably go to this thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> so I ended up 
being at a Human to Mars Summit, met mm-hmm. Chris Carberry, met Artemis mm-hmm. Westenberg, said, hey, what are you doing for kids here? And they looked at me and they're like, well, we've got some, you know, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. It's like, yeah, no, no. What are you doing with like, where's your, mm-hmm. what's the workforce here? So yeah, nobody's going to want to read the not very awesome like business book of mine. But the best thing I can tell you is that I just... I just knew that there was something here and that space was that gateway. And I, I, I don't like the words gateway drug per, per se, mm-hmm. but I like that I like that where it leads to, that it is this gateway process. Maybe that's a better way to turn the mm-hmm. phrase. That gateway process that as we look out, as, as we realize that we are 100% star stuff and made from the very same elements in the hearts of stars and that yes. our very beingness is like being here is one in four hundred quadrillion. So the likelihood of us not being here is grander than our probability that we will be here. And yet here we are. And there's something grand about that proposition that we're related to each other biologically, to the earth chemically, to the cosmos, you know, atomically. And you start kind of really blessing and saying that over kids. It's, it's, it's kind of a profound thing because they, kids will believe you. And I've always thought you've got to honor kids and create that sense of awe and wonder by speaking the most positive of prophecies. Well, look at you, you little astrophysicist. Should I call you doctor or is it Nobel Prize winner? Ha! <laughs> And yeah, kids will light up. Mm-hmm. And it's like they just, it's like they will arise to mm-hmm. what you say. And so I loved working with kids. I loved space and science and played Star Trek because my friend Carol had uh, some really cool little <laughs> walkie talkies. And so we tried to baby wow, walkie talkies. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't soup cans. Right? <laughs> we probably would have used those as well. But it's like I love going to Carol's house because she had those doggone walkie talkies. But mm-hmm. it's just I wish I could tell you there was some like completely planned out path. It was just that I kept going. And here's what's funny. I don't mind telling everybody. It's like on Mars, I'm 29 and a half. I've calculated it. But, <laughs> so that's how old I feel inside. I feel my right. I feel 29 and a half uh, as a Martian. But in truth, I'm 55. And without revealing too much, there are some things on the horizon that might be the culmination of everything I've been dreaming of. And, and it's come about just like time and time again, keep doing it, keep, you know, kind of like going, nope, kids are my things. And then people said, Hey, what if we did camps? And so we started it in 2019, then 2020 happens. And it's like, Oh, I remember sitting down right as lockdown happened. And it was such a bizarre experience. Mm-hmm. Kind of sat down and cried in my coffee. And the prompt was, you need to be with kids. And I was like, yep. And I'm yeah. so silly. I yeah. didn't know at the time that you could be Zoom bombed. Had never had that happen. <laughs> so put my Zoom link out there for the public. And the first day we had 26 kids and I talked about the solar system. The next day we had 76 kids. Mm-hmm. And uh True. And it was just, you know, I invited you to speak. And it's like, yes, I was calling I up every it. friend. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> every yeah. friend I had in the space industry. And to think that it's like, uh, you know, I was going through some old kind of like 
Janet's Planet Dreams and lots of things I've jotted down. I got volumes of ideas, right? And, you know, 10 years, 10, 12 years ago, I was thinking about what if we did a Janet's Planet Awe Academy? And then it, then it kind of like in, during the pandemic turned into the Janet's Planet Astronaut Academy. And then we, you know, in that nine weeks, like in that from March to May of 2020, we served 1,200 kids. And then a friend calls and says, you should apply for this grant. And we got, we ended up getting a part of that NASA Next Gen STEM grant. And from September of 2020 through June 2021, we mm-hmm. they Zoomed with over 8,500 kids across the country. And so every time that I have ever gone, I'm done, it's too hard, forget about it. I'm going to, I'm going to go do something else. I will be doggoned if there won't be some, something, a kid sends me an email or I get a card in the mail and I'll be like, nope, this is the path. And for years, it's like when I first started out, I felt like, I felt like an imposter. I don't think I do mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of times when there are things that I'd like so over my head, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go study about that. <laughs> But it was Pat Rawlings, who's a space artist, and this was back in probably 2014, 2015. And I'm looking at his art. I'm purchasing something. And he was like, you've got imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, how'd you know? He goes, I overheard you speaking. He goes, I just want to encourage you. He goes, if you can do something that nobody else can kind of like assimilate or do, embrace that. He goes, I used to think, why did they hire this crazy artist to work for NASA? And he goes, the engineers Mm -hmm. would send me something, ask me to dream it up and kind of, you know, make it graphic. And he goes, I'd send it back. He goes, I'd add a handle here, a window here or something. And they're like, we never even thought about that. And he Mm -hmm. goes, "That that began to happen so frequently that I thought, I am here because I see the world differently. He goes, so I'm going to, I'm going to say that the reason that you are in this position to communicate some of these higher kind of like, you know, concepts is because somehow your brain assimilates it. And then you find a way to explain that to kids. So that was like a gift. So Pat Rawlings, I don't know if you would be listening, but thank you because it gave me permission to let go. All right, I'm going to stand in this because I might not be the architect of some, you know, Martian long pole and understanding right. like the propellant structure mm-hmm. or this or that, but I can get kids excited and talk to them about how a basic rocket works and how we can generate momentum and delta V and you know, begin to have like these kind of like basic conversations that then kind of get them to their next place in their next place. So I know that's a like, I've taken up probably the whole darn time just telling you (laughs) part of that story. No, it's, it's, it's inspiring. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we have to highlight is one, it wasn't that you just attended an Explore Mars Human to Mars conference. You became president of Explore (laughs) Mars and have been leading the nonprofit to high, high levels since you took over and have really brought in students. Two, I've seen you in action and you light up a room and I see the faces of children. I mean, you can even see them on those Zoom calls. You just, <laughs> you you inspire them, you give them hope. And then three, you know, you, you were kind enough to bring up your age. So you're, you are in a world where it's not just being an educator, you're part of the media world. And we right. know that age is such an important I- impact, not only from educating the young ones, but can you age out of the system? So let's, t- <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, how has that influenced you, Janet? Because again, what we feel internally, 
may not be reflected what's on a driver's license. And unfortunately, I think some people tend to think, you know, in that polar, either you're young or you're old. So how are you managing that as you're moving your career forward? You know, it's it's interesting. Young kids won't well, A, they're always going to be honest. It's like the other, yeah. for example, my... From the mouth of babes, Oh right? my gosh. This, uh, mm-hmm. We were, <laughs> on Memorial Day, we were all on the boat and my seven-year-old granddaughter goes, Jan Jan, why is your hair gray? I was like, oh yeah, Jan Jan needs a, <laughs> Jan Jan needs some uh, to, a root touch up. Indeed uh-huh. she does. Miracle Mer- <laughs> And so uh, I find it that it's like, they kind of like... I have had kids who maybe, you know, if I go through a Starbucks, especially here in Middle Tennessee, because I've been on Mm -hmm. Nashville Public Television so long, they'll go, oh, my gosh, I've seen my childhood flashing before me. Or And occasionally (laughs) occasionally they'll go like, "Uh, you look different. And I usually go, "Uh, (laughs) it's it's lighting and a good makeup artist. (laughs) And uh, and then I think it I forget it was like I was probably a third or fourth grader recently is like. You, you look younger on camera. And I was like, oh, baby. Oh, my goodness. It, but, you know, I was like, you know what? I probably am younger, the, the thing that you're talking about that you just watched. But, yeah, it's kind of a process oh. that we go through. It's hard for me. It's like I, you know, I have these moments where like I will be thinking, I am looking so, I'm looking so good today. Look at me. I'm feeling, (laughs) I'm feeling so good. good. And then I cap in a catch and I'm like, like the Mm -hmm. wrinkles and the, like the Mm -hmm. smile lines or the crease in the neck. And you're going, there's not enough chokers that can cover this up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or, or like, you know, it looks a little weird to wear a turtleneck in the summertime, but that's like, I think it's hard. And I think, I think this is what I wish we could just kind of close our eyes to the imperfections, Mm -hmm. because I feel like if you're a guy, you can wrinkle well, you know, you can wrinkle or gray or pudgy or, and somehow that's okay. Or that's distinguished. And then it's like there's this crone thing that I think we think of mm-hmm. as women age. So it's mm-hmm. not easy for me. It's like I certainly I certainly have lost some auditions, but at the same time, I've gained a few. It's like now, you know, I'm the older mom. Eventually, mm-hmm. if I ever do, I, my granddaughter kept pushing. It's like once she finds something, she's going to keep asking questions. She's like, will you ever go all gray? And I was like, yeah, not till I'm on Mars, honey. Not till I'm on <laughs> Mars. So, on yeah, Mars. it's going to be a, going to be a while. Oh, I but it. I, it's it's tough because I think there's this. And again, in the pandemic, it's like, I won't lie. It's like I I was under stress and I'm not a person mm-hmm. who loses weight under stress. I'm a person who's like, mm-hmm. hey, where's the chips or something? Sure. And so, you know, battling the weight of middle age and menopause, mm-hmm. that's uncool. Uh, it's like it. you're going, I at this point, when I finally feel more confident on the inside than I ever have, you feel like there should be this weird process where you right. become a supermodel at this age because now you finally could, <laughs> yeah, now, you could kind of finally like embody that without any insecurity or whatever. Not that supermodels are insecure because I think if you're that, they're probably super, super courageous and awesome. But I just, I find it hard to even deal with because I do feel vim hybrid vigor if you will like Mm -hmm. on the inside and but i like owning up to how old i am because i go no there's permission in that right i've been here a while i got a few things to say i just Mm -hmm. i think if anybody's listening and we talked about this even out on your patio don't discount the knowledge bank 
that is right. right around you because they may have a little more weight on them or a little more wrinkles or whatever you might be judging as part of that earth suit because it's like we miss out on so much yeah. when we judge just on the external and i i again i think i think we've we've got still some places to go before we can go wow that is a walking amazing human and look at that earth suit wow that has had some wear i want to hear those stories and cuz i think it's time to celebrate that we've made it and it's like i'm going to go ahead and be bold i am gen x so i came after the boomers and I feel proud that my generation, we laid, it's like the boomers laid some groundwork, the Gen mm -hmm. Xers, we worked really mm -hmm. hard mm -hmm. to break open as many doors and glass ceilings as possible. And so for where we're still learning, and I always want to say to anybody younger than me, I am so willing to continue to learn. Please, please be my best teachers. Don't let me get away with anything. But I also just, I kind of want others to go, you know what? I want to see what I can learn and what what they might be willing to learn from me. And I think that I would love to really kind of develop more relationships or more conversations where that could happen. It's that whole intergenerational approach, I think, could be so valuable. And we've talked about that with space exploration, that it's not just race, ethnicity, sex, gender, but we really do need that whole diversity across the age spectrum because everyone brings, like you said, a different skill set and a different knowledge base to the table. Just for a second, and, and this is something very, very serious, we, we also talked about the issues surrounding gun violence, and you're an educator, and I know it's just hit you so deeply. And, and you're also from the South, where there may be different views on, on gun laws and gun control and, and legislation. So, Jenna, what are some of your thoughts? How do we move from where we are today, where every day there's a new mass shooting, to that community, to that culture of love and understanding and tolerance and health? Wow. Let me start by saying that I think absolutely assault weapons should be banned. Mm -hmm. They should be banned. They should be like melted down and made into like a statue and, and, or just like, I just want them thrown into the deepest pit. I want mm -hmm. the age for anyone buying that to be raised to 21 or older. Um, I mean, even to even purchase a gun. I mean, it's like, for me, it's this thing. It's like, we've got people who are saying they are pro-life, but I'm like, what life? Like you guys are fine with it if it gets, you know, from zero to born. Mm -hmm. But what about pro-life of those fourth graders? I mean, mm -hmm. what struck me so hard about Uvalde is that on that Monday prior to that incident that week, I was in a gymnasium with 200 fifth graders that I've worked with over the last year. It's a school that's right in my backyard that I volunteer for a couple of days a week when I can mm -hmm. and my schedule allows. And it's like 300 parents are packed in there. And it's like any of those children's faces were the same kids I'm working with any good day. And you go, like it hit, it impacted me because my husband and I talked about it. I said, honey, I should... Every time I go to a school, I should start to say how much I love you because I will be jumping in the way. Yeah. I will be battling. Mm -hmm. I just I just want to beg people. It's like, here's the funny thing. 
And I think this usually shocks people that even though I grew up in rural West Mm -hmm. Tennessee, have been in the Mm -hmm. South all my life, my dad didn't own a gun because he thought, what kind of guilty conscience do you have to have to walk around with like sporting one of those? Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a completely different experience. And most possibly my dad didn't own one because he didn't want to waste the money on one. He just had other like, you know, how we grew up. It was not like it was so, certainly not silver spoon and it was hard earned. And but it's like I I respect people who want to go hunt. Tennessee has an amazing program called Hunters for the Hungry. And whatever they harvest, they make sure meals get out to people. And there's some real conservationists. And and so I can go, all right, fine. But it's like nobody gets an assault weapon and 350 rounds of ammunition other than to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I just go, you cannot stand there and give me an argument for pro-life and and then be willing to sacrifice school children for your rights to hold uh, and bear that arm. And, you know, we I, I get it. It's like, I want our constitution protected, but mm-hmm. let's read it for when it was written and when we mm-hmm. might be invaded by another country mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. All I know is, and I don't own a gun, I won't own a gun because I figure I would, it, it would probably, I wouldn't have the heart to ever harm somebody and I would mm-hmm. probably get harmed. So that's why I don't carry one. Uh, I just don't want one. But, and if you do want one, fine, lock it up, take a, take a course in safety. But what we don't talk about in this country is mental health. What mm-hmm. we don't talk about is And again, I don't know the people in this town, but I want to know, where was that guidance counselor? Where was the truancy officer? This kid had dropped out. Right. And again, I don't Mm. want to point blame on a community already grieving, but I go, it it didn't just start in the last couple of months, but it's also social media. He had posted some heinous things. I mean, they can twist off any particular post that, you know, can, you know, that you might find that Facebook might find offensive, but there were other things. At what point do we go the minute that there's a threat to a female or a threat of human life that there's not a buzzer ringing somewhere and going, we got to do something. We need someone is in, someone is about to harm themselves or others. Mm -hmm. Let's do something. Mm -hmm. So there's just, the, the problem here is for me is that I don't, I think I want this singular sweeping thing, but it's really, it's not monolithic, right? It's not just, it's not just gun ownership. It's what kind of gun and how you can get it just simply because you're 18, you passed a few questions and even the gun store owner didn't think to ask, Hey son, what you planning? Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know any of these people and I am, I'm, I, I, again, these are the questions I have, and these are the hard questions because here I sit as somebody who goes into schools all the time. I mean, I'm going to have camps this summer and we're already thinking about before we even begin, we're going to have a safety plan and run a little Mm, safety so that where kids know where to go. Never Mm -hmm. have I had to do that, but I'm so darn afraid. Here is the statement that I'm embarrassed to say out loud. 
And this is what makes me that somebody listening is going to go, ah, you are an old lady and it will sound ageist. And even me saying it will sound that way, but it's like, I've never been afraid. I've traveled all over the world. I can do it by myself. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to everybody. I meet kind people. It's like amazing. Mm -hmm. I have never been afraid more than I am afraid right now. I have felt my anxiety heighten in the last couple of years going through COVID. And now I don't know if it's safe to go downtown in my own hometown in Nashville for fear that somebody's going to have a gun and pop something off, get a little crazy, have too much to drink. Somebody mistreated them. Somebody offended them. And this is their way to solve problems. So I wish I knew what the solution was, but I think it's, come on, can we just find some cent- some place to meet where it says you got to be older? You got to go through a series of like like gun safety training courses if you're going to own one. There got to be some serious questions about how much ammunition that like you really absolutely need at any given time and you're a proven kind of like reliable trustworthy someone. But I don't know, like even that is like out of my mouth. It's like somebody's going to say, oh, she's trying to infringe on personal rights. No, I don't want to infringe on anybody's personal rights. I just want to protect children. Well, and Janet, you have been truly, you know, the the ambassador for for health, for exploration, for safety, for thousands, probably millions of children around the world. So if anyone can talk about it, you can. And I hope your voice is heard. Well, and again, hear hear it with all grace is what I would say to anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. I just know there was this poem written by one of the moms, and it was hard to get through. I bawled my head off. But she was talking about the sandwich that she got up early to make and the the crust of the bread that she cut off to make sure. And she goes, and she never got to eat it. What mm-hmm. if she'd had, what if she just had to go to the bathroom? Or what if mm-hmm. she just had to run back mm-hmm. somewhere to pick up something on the playground? Would she mm-hmm. have survived the day? Mm-hmm. What about that spelling test we studied for that, that she'll never take? Right. And it's like it went from there And it just, it's like the reality of what these people who are grieving, I can't even grasp it. I can like feel it in a way, but not fully because it's not me nor my child. But I, as a, you know, I don't have any biological children, much like yourself. And it's like, but somehow I found myself like with hundreds and thousands of kids over the years that uh, I have loved like my own, that I always say, hey, I adopt you. If you ever need anything, you can, you know, give me an email, send me an email, give me a call, give me a text, whatever you need. It's like, I'll do my best if I can. And so I think it is that mama, non-mama that is in me that I just go, isn't it time we drop the agendas? Because sometimes I don't know that people are arguing for certain, for absolute certain things as much as they're arguing for these agendas that have been placed and they think if I deviate from this at all, I won't get the votes or I'm not something. And I just think, what if we laid some of those agendas down and met as humans in the middle Mm -hmm. and said, there's gotta be a way forward where it protects people's individual rights, some all for that, but it also protects our children 
Because again, I think that might be where I really have a hard time for the same people who are pushing pro-life, but are also pro-gun and none of that makes sense to me. And I have to say, I just, my prayer, my real honest to God prayer is please because I think here's my prediction, and I said this many years ago at an educational forum, and I happened to say, I said, by 2030, the day of the Little Red Schoolhouse will be gone. And somebody's like, you've got, no, 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 there will always be schools, there will always be a place for schools. And I was like, yeah, schools will exist. They're going to exist online. They're going to exist in virtual reality. They're going to exist. I said, but I said, people are going to finally have have enough technology, they can learn whatever they want to learn, anywhere they want to learn it from, from the comfort of their own home. And I said, and schools have become, and this is, I would say, I, this was, had been probably five or 10 years ago, and they thought it was crazy. And I said, I'm just telling you where I see the technology going. I see where people are like excelling and you've got kids who are feeling held back because they can't progress. Maybe they're 12, but their IQ is, you know, they're already on like several levels ahead. So I think you're going to see more and more exodus from traditional school settings, mainly because people are going to get to that place where it's like, I want to keep my kids safe and I don't want to send them to a traditional school. I could be wrong about that, but I think it'll be very interesting if we were to take a census of uh, kids returning to school or not going yeah. or being homeschooled to a certain age. I do. Do I think there's a time and place? I had a most magical elementary, middle, and high school public education. I I love that that is where I came from and that I got such a amazing foundation of knowledge and education. So we've got to do something in our system if we want to keep doing it how we've been doing it, or are we ready to really disrupt it and demand change and say, this is, we need to give some of autonomy back to the teachers that are standing in those school systems. We need to get rid of the like incessant testing, which does nothing but create anxiety for kids. Here's a question I have for you and I have for the audience. How might education on Mars, how, what we would need to teach any students on Mars, kids growing up there, how could what we think about how we would teach them be a disruptor for how we teach kids on Earth? What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, so Janet, I think all the issues you're bringing up are so, so important and so powerful. And we could probably have three more shows about <laughs> some of this because every one of them is critical to how we begin to always search, again, always search for those answers and solutions. And, and as you were talking, I was exactly thinking that when we head to Mars, when we head back to the moon, we're not going to be taking guns with us. Mm-mm. And we are going as one human species. We're going as human beings, not by defined by anything other than that. And I think, you know, we may put what we call in in space parlance, human factors to define us by age, race, sex, gender, all that, but we're going as humans. And I think that's where we have to come back to is finding that common humanity, which is what you talked about at the start of this show. You talked about finding that common humanity. And, 
Janet, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom, your compassion, and your solutions to how we can come together, how we can solve some of our Earth's serious problems so that we can go and explore the stars together. So thank you so much for being with us. And until next time, we're always searching. Thank you so much for listening to Always Searching. Please share it with your community. This podcast was produced by Noah Jones and hosted by me, Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark. Until next time, we're always searching. <laughs>